Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com or download our free Living Truth app. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 55 called An Old Testament Invitation. Father, we want to rejoice when people come into the kingdom just as you tell us through the lips of Jesus in Luke 15. There is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And we're grateful that we can rejoice as well down here on the earth. And we want to just have that passion and boldness, Lord, to preach your word and see people come. And we're grateful for the people that came into the kingdom tonight. We pray you'll protect them from the evil one. We pray that they will grow in their most holy faith. And we pray that as we look at Isaiah 55 tonight, you will guide us by your Holy Spirit. Open our hearts. Give us ears to hear what you would say to us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I told you um, last Wednesday that Isaiah 54 and 55 are response chapters, and we're in 55 tonight, to Isaiah 53. I don't think I need to say uh, the con. Uh, content of Isaiah 53 is uh, all about the servant of the Lord, and it's about his death on the cross, and it's about his payment for our sins, him bearing our shame, our iniquities, etc. And we all know that. Isaiah 54 opened with a shout of praise to, for the barren one to give praise because God was going to do unexpected things. And uh, He reminds them, for example, in verse 5 of Isaiah 54, your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is the God of all the earth. And God explains how he called to them, uh, to Israel, like a wife forsaken, grieved in spirit, verse 6, even like a, a wife of one's youth when she is rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In an outburst of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, with unfailing love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. And the Lord painted a picture of expanding the tent because there are going to be many seed that come in from the finish work. He will see, the Messiah will see his offspring and be satisfied. And we ended uh, Isaiah 54 with verse 17. It says, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. And we talked about what the meaning of that verse might be. Uh, It could be taken very literal if God doesn't want you to die. If he has set the number of your days in his book before one of them came to pass, then in some ways or in many ways or according to the word of God, we could say, well, until I'm supposed to die, um, I'm not going to die. Now, does that mean I could be hurt? Certainly. But there's a day that God has set for me to finish my days. And so that could be the, the essence of no weapon formed against us. But I think in Isaiah 53, 54, and 55, more of the thrust here is spiritual. And we think of, uh, for example, spiritual warfare. And it was brought up last week. You know, one of the weapons of uh, the enemy could be lies. And we have a belt of truth to counter his lies. One of his weapons is to attack our faith. 
We have a shield of faith. We have a helmet of salvation because many of us find that at times the enemy is attacking the uh, reliability of our salvation in Jesus Christ. And we have a helmet to protect us from those thoughts and those attacks. We have an accuser who accuses the brethren day and night. And God says here, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue that accuses you, 5417, in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Their notice, vindication is from me. We will be vindicated one day. We are unaccusable before the Father because of the work of the servant of the Lord in Isaiah 53. And all God's people said, Amen. I will shout a shout of joy because of what God has done for me. The enemy can bring weapons against me, but the weapons of my warfare are not carnal, but they are spiritual for the pulling down of strongholds. I do not fight a spiritual battle with physical weapons, but with spiritual weapons. And part of my dress routine as a believer, as I am trying to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, is to put on the full armor of God. Just like I put on my socks every day, I got to put on the shoes of peace. Just like I put on a shirt every day, I got to put on the breastplate of righteousness. But they're not physical things, they are spiritual things, and they remind me of my standing in Christ So that when the enemy does come like a flood, and since he can't take my salvation away, what he'd like to do is render me ineffective, cause me to move back from the front lines of the battle, form weapons against me that might make me ineffective. God says, if you're in me, no weapon formed against you will what? Will prosper. So that is the heritage of the saints of the Lord. That's, we are in the mighty one. We are in uh, Christ and we... Uh, walk according to the strength of his might. Now, these are response chapters. Isaiah 54 kind of opened up the tent, told us there's going to be a lot of people there, and God's going to call them in, etc. And now, Isaiah 55 is probably one of the clearest invitations in the Old Testament. This is going to be an invitation to come to the Lord, and the invitation is going to include aspects of, of what it means to come to the Lord. Because it's not sufficient just to get an invitation to Christ. It is not sufficient just to hear the gospel. There is a response required from the listener to come. Jesus said, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. But the invitation is to come. God does not believe for you, nor does he repent for you. So whatever your soteriology is about how people get saved, how much of the pie is God, how much of it is man's free will, remember that in this invitation, these verses, God is calling us to come. And it starts with an unusual word in most of our translations. Actually, in the NAS and maybe a couple others, it says, ho. And we won't say, what? We think of ho as like, stop. Like you might say that to a horse. Ho, ho right? That's not the word here. The NIV renders it come, but that's not accurate either because those words will be repeated later, but that's not the essence of the word here. So what does it mean? Well, one commentary I read, it could mean up, get up and come to the Lord. The word in Hebrew is an urging, um, it's an urging to come. It, It is an invitation, but it has some feeling and emotion. It's like, get up, 
and come to the waters. Why are you sitting there dying of thirst when this is available to you? This is an invitation that goes out, but you cannot respond. You can resist the Holy Spirit, but the invitation nonetheless goes out. Come or ho, everyone who thirsts, 55.1, come to the waters, you who have no money, this is good news for many of us, come, buy and eat, come, notice it's not just water, buy wine and milk, these are luxuries, but notice, do it without money and without cost. Now it seems to me that the only requirements of verse 1 are that you are thirsty and broke. So um, if you're in those categories, you're in pretty good company. You qualify. All you have to be is thirsty and broke. So I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand tonight, but if you fall in those categories, you're okay. And the invitation is for those who thirst to come to the waters. Who have no money, come buy and eat. These are images, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And all of the images are pointing to the salvation that is given to us by the servant of the Lord in Isaiah 53. These are all the beauties of salvation. This is the abundance. These are the pleasures at his right hand forevermore. This is what he offers to you if you will come. Revelation twenty-two seventeen. you could say the last invitation in the whole Bible says these words. And the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life, remember, without cost. So the Bible ends with this exhortation to come to the waters, to come to the living waters in Jesus Christ. In John 4, 13 and 14, Jesus said to the woman at the well, uh, everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. It is a gift of God. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. There's no, there's no way to buy it. There's no cost associated with it. You remember it was Simon the magician in the New Testament. He saw the apostles laying their hands on people and they were receiving the Holy Spirit and he was impressed with this and he said, I too want this gift and he offered them money. And Peter said, your silver perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You can't buy your way into this kingdom. The requirements for entry are going to be uh, uh, given to us in detail in this chapter, but two of the requirements are found in verse one. You have to be thirsty and you have to be broke. You have to be poor in spirit. You have to recognize your need and it's kind of a weird thing because recognizing thirst sometimes happens in different ways. You know, you'll talk to somebody and you'll say, you know, you can go with the emptiness argument do you, do you sense an emptiness in your soul? And many sinners will tell you, no, I'm having just a good old time, right? But I went through a period of time where I had heard the gospel and I was kind of fighting God. I was a non-Christian. But there was a thirst in my soul. The thirst came out in a sense of emptiness. I kept trying to fill myself with things outside of God and they could never truly satisfy me. And I didn't admit it publicly. I didn't admit it to my friends. I had moments like that when I was looking in the mirror after a night of partying or a morning after a night of partying and said, you know what? Those things are not satisfying me. 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Pastor Michael has an invitation for you. If you're looking for a fellowship to participate in and you're anywhere within driving distance of the Inland Empire, I pastor a church along with other pastors. I'm the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona. And we do two Sunday morning services each Sunday, 8.30 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We happen to be moving through the book of Philippians at the current moment. Hey, plan on joining us this weekend. We'd love to have you. I'd love to meet you. I'll meet you right there at the Donuts. Maybe we'll split a maple bar. (laughs) And hey, remember, if you can't join us, if you're not within the Inland Empire, then find a good, healthy Bible teaching church and go and serve the Lord because he's worthy. And when we're part of the body, an active part of the body, man, it makes a big difference in our lives and the lives of others. So make sure you're plugged in to fellowship this weekend. God bless you. Learn more about Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, where Pastor Michael Lance serves as senior pastor. When you visit walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. A sense of emptiness. I kept trying to fill myself with things outside of God, and they could never truly satisfy me. And I didn't admit it publicly. I didn't admit it to my friends. I had moments like that when I was looking in the mirror after a night of partying or a morning after a night of partying and said, you know what, those things are not satisfying me. And so um, this invitation to come, there's no cost, but you must recognize your thirst and you must also recognize the fact that you are broken and poor. In John 7, I want you to turn there for a second, Jesus stands up on the great day of the feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. There was a water rite that was an integral part of the feast, and he gives an invitation very similar to what is given in Isaiah, John seven thirty seven. Jesus, on the last day, the great day of the feast, stood, out, stood up and cried out, John seven thirty seven. If any man is thirsty, he cried it out. So he said it with some passion, some fervor. If any man is thirsty, let him what? Come to me and drink. If you are thirsty, and he did it on the great day of the feast, on the day when they would do this integral, uh, intricate water rite where they would pour out the water, they would make their way um, up to the temple. Jesus said, in essence, I am the fulfillment of that right that you do, that practice that you do. He who, notice, believes in me, so he ties coming to him to believing in him, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow what? Rivers, plural, or streams, they're plural, of living water. When you come to Jesus and you believe in Jesus, he does something fantastic in you. He places the waters in you. He's not just the water. He says from within you, the water will now what? Flow out to others. 
He will actually come and reside in you. The living waters, think of the the power of the Holy Spirit. Think of the presence of Almighty God. God is like water. The Jews went for broken cisterns that could not hold water, but God is like water. And God is saying here, if you open your life to me, if you come to me, not only will the waters, you know, will you drink them, but they will be inside of you, flowing out of you, and there will be a plurality here of streams or rivers flowing out. Think of the power of a flowing stream and river, and you're starting to get the picture. And Jesus spoke this of the Holy Spirit. Notice, this he spoke of the Spirit whom those who what? Believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So this speaks, these waters speak of what? The presence of the the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, there is a divine power. Remember, these are simply images. We don't have literal water in us in that sense. But this is an image of the power of God, of the life-giving touch of God. Water is life. That's why peoples uh, in ancient times would set up by a river or set up by a body of water because they knew water was life. And in cultures that were desert uh, areas, they had to heavily depend on rain. If you're not next to like the Nile River, then rain, which would happen often, you know, at intermittent streams in these regions became a matter of life and death. And you remember one of the plagues that God brought on the people of Israel was he didn't let it rain for what was it, three and a half years? And there was famine. And that's, that's the picture here is that salvation is life. It's water. Go back to Isaiah 55. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give. The living water, thirsty one, stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now I live in him. That's what's happened. And so verse 2 says, it gives a warning, or it's more a question. Because the invitation goes out, but then the Bible actually asks the question, why? We're good at asking the question, why? Now God asks it of us. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not what? Satisfy. There's the image. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good And notice this, the end of verse 2, and delight yourself in what? Abundance. You see, when you come to Jesus Christ, he doesn't just say, dip your toe in the water and see if you like the temperature. You know, as I get older, I become more wimpy about water. I used to be able to dive into any temperature of water. When we first filled up a pool we put in our backyard, the boys were ready. It was halfway full. They wanted to jump in. This is almost a decade ago now, more than a decade ago. And I was like, I don't know, I changed my mind. I really don't want to go in. Is it 82? You know, well, God says, delight yourself in abundance. Psalm 34, 8 says, oh, taste that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. But the question, why? How many people are spending money for what cannot satisfy? For what is not bread. The Proverbs talk about 
the bread of a selfish man, uh, uh, Proverbs 23, 6. They talk about bread obtained by falsehood. It's sweet to a man, Proverbs 20, 17. But afterward, his mouth will be filled, get this, with gravel. Proverbs 20, verse 17. They eat the bread of wickedness, Proverbs 4, 17. And they drink the wine of violence. There is bread that is false bread. It's kind of like, we joke about this, but it's apropos. It's kind of like eating Chinese food. It fills you up for a couple hours, but then you're hungry again. That's kind of how the world's bread is. You see, it never truly satisfies. Jesus, however, is the bread of God. The bread, the true bread, which came down from heaven, John 6. And if a man comes to him and eats of this bread and believes on him and drinks of that uh, life-giving flow, then he will have eternal life. See, coming to him and believing on him is what John 6 is all about. And it's been very confused, especially in the Catholic Church. He's not speaking about his literal flesh and blood there. He's speaking about the fact that he is the giver of life and salvation. The feast to which we come is him. He is our salvation. These are metaphors, but you get the picture. It's not a piece of bread he gives that gives you the life. He gives you the life. The words that I've spoken to you, John 6, 63, they are spirit and they are life. The life comes from him. He is the life-giving flow. It's not something that he gives you. It's not a pill, it's not a wafer, it's not a cup of juice, it's him residing inside the believer and producing the life of the Spirit. And so it comes through partaking, and it comes through the maybe even shocking language of abundance. Go to Psalm 36 for a second. Just a few books back towards Genesis. Psalm 36, look at this. Psalm 36, starting in verse 7 says, Thy righteousness is like the mountains of God. This is 36.6. Thy judgments are like a great deep. O Lord, thou preservest man and beast. How precious is thy loving kindness, O God. The children of men take refuge in the shadow of thy wings. They drink their fill of the abundance of thy house. And thou dost give them to drink of the river of thy delights. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light we see light. O continue thy loving kindness to those who know thee. That's the key. And thy righteousness to the upright in heart. Look at these words. These are words of delight. These are words of abundance. God wants us to come to him and feast on the right things. And when you feast on the wrong things, you feel horrible, right? Thanksgiving. I'm not going to do it this year. I'm not going to do it. But then you're in the three and 3.5 plates, you know, and they have to roll you into the living room to position you to watch the Cowboys and the Detroit Lions. And you say, oh, abundance sounded so good. But now it hurts. But when you eat the right things, and these are the things of the Spirit, you can't get enough. That's why you're here tonight, right? You had a lot of options in Southern California on a Wednesday night. I know. I did too. I checked a few out to see what was available. 
Nothing came through, so I showed up. No, I'm just kidding. I delight to be with the people of God. I delight in the worship of Almighty God. I delight, you can clap if you want to, in the overflowing abundance of his word. Because when I get it into me, his words have become the delight of my soul. That's what Jeremiah said. I ate your word, and it's become the joy and delight of my soul. It fills me like nothing else can. It energizes me for the battle ahead. It clothes me with power from on high. It fills me up because I know I'm leaky, like you guys, right? And Psalm 37 just continues the theme. A lot of good stuff, but look at verse 3. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness, 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will what? He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Some of you need to underline that one. Trust also in him and he will do it and he will bring forth your righteousness as the light, six, your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. And wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. You see, the Lord wants us just to delight in him, in the overflowing abundance that he gives to his saints. And the more you stay by the river of his delights, the more you're filled up for the battle. Of course, the Lord, Isaiah 55, calls us to go out into a dry and weary land where there is no water and to share this message with others. One writer says, it seems easier to spend our money on what is not true bread and will never satisfied. And I added this, and it leaves a bad aftertaste. Our world is a vast marketplace of unsatisfying but costly remedies for our God-shaped longings but we're not very smart shoppers, close quote. So sometimes we have seasons where we look elsewhere and we've even tasted and seen that the Lord is good, but it seems like we can listen to the wrong voices and end up, you know, wandering. And so the reminder in 55.3 is incline your ear and come to me. Second idea of a real strong invitation to come. Notice God says through Isaiah, come to me, not to the waters here, but to me. Because he is the answer. Listen, that you may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful or sure mercies. The word is hesed there again, the the idea of God's unfailing love shown to David. He says, give ear, NIV, verse 3, and come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. The New King James says the sure mercies of David. The NAS says the faithful mercies. Uh, You want to be sure about mercy, don't you? I mean, you can hear about mercy. You can have someone say to you, I will show you mercy. But you might want to say, can I get that in writing? I'm not going to hold this against you. I know you owe me $10,000. The debt is forgiven. Here's my attorney's card just in case I run out of money now. You want some sure mercy, right? Well, in 2 Samuel, turn there for a second, there's a promise given to David, and it's an insightful promise. First and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. 
So in 2 Samuel, um, here's what happens. Saul obviously was not the guy. And God is making through the prophet promises to David and his household. And he says in 2 Samuel 7, 12, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, 2 Samuel seven thirteen, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness, 2 Samuel 7, 15, key verse. My love, NIV, my mercy, New King James, shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. And your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever and your throne shall be established forever. There in verse 15 are the sure mercies of David. David got them. Saul did not. And God, when he gives an invitation in Isaiah 55, is offering the sure mercies of David to those who will come to God through the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sure mercies. That when we commit iniquity, 15 or 14, God will correct us. But God's loving kindness, 2 Samuel 7, 15, shall not depart, and we could put our name here, from us, because we're in that covenant, as I took it away from Saul. See, he, God makes a distinction with the covenant of David. We call it the Davidic covenant. And in that covenant, there are sure mercies. And you are in that covenant. And through the line of David came the Messiah, who will be highlighted, highlighted here in Isaiah 55. Please go back there. I hope you can appreciate the idea of sure mercies. I certainly am glad that they are based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ and not my everyday behavior. <laughs> Isaiah 55, 4. Behold, I have made him, in context, David, but I think it's pointing to the greater David, Jesus, ultimately. Behold, I've made him, the speaking, you know, connect that to the sure mercies, a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold you, here again, I think a reference to David, will call a nation you do not know, speaking of the Gentiles, and a nation which knows you not will run to you because of what? The Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel for he has glorified you. The message is clear. Gentile nations, and Israel is in the immediate context, will run to the land of Israel because they will see the sure mercies of David poured upon the land of Israel, and they will come, and kings will bring their glory into where? The new Jerusalem. And the world will look and say, look at how God has worked in the lives of those people. But there's a further application, and I think you can sense it in this verse. The further application is to the church. And the hope of the church being salt and light and that a city set upon a hill illuminating the world is that the world would see the sure mercies of David displayed in the church, the Lord working in his people, and that they would run to the deliverer, to the Messiah, the servant, because of what they see in our lives. Not because of us, but because of the Lord our God, even, end of five, the Holy One of Israel. He 
has glorified you. He has lifted us up and strengthened us and hopefully our lives become a light to others. And so what should we do? It's an invitation text. It says, I told you there would be elements of an invitation here and here they are. In verse one, we saw you gotta be thirsty and broke. And now it says this. Here's what you have to do. Seek the Lord, 55.6, while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. The invitation is clear. It's out there. The living waters are available. The abundance of God's delights. But you must, what? Seek him and call upon him. In Romans 10, Paul says, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how shall they call upon him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who brings, bring glad tidings of what? Good things. How shall they hear without a preacher? And what should the preacher say? Call upon the name of the Lord. You see, it's not a social gospel, folks. This is not about us, you know, uh, taking out the elements of an invitation to make people feel better about their lost condition. This is, us, this is about us being good stewards of the call of God. And the call of God is, if you're thirsty and broke, here's what you need to do. You need to seek the Lord, notice verse 6, while he may be found. Yes, the door is open now, but it will not be open forever. And if they hold your funeral and you have not come to Jesus Christ, then the abundance of these delights do not belong to you. And you'll eat gravel because you will not be in the presence of the Lord where there are pleasures at his right hand forevermore. And we cannot get that wrong. There's not an automatic ticket to the abundance of his right hand. You must call upon him. You must seek him. And there's an urgency in the appeal and the invitation. Notice, you must do it while he's near. You must do it while he may be found. There is an urgency. There's a window of time. There's a window of opportunity. And he who hardens his heart, often hardens his heart, and you know he hears the gospel and he won't come, will he become so dull that You know, he may say, uh, on my deathbed, I'll receive the Lord. But, you know, sadly, there are a lot of people on deathbeds who still fight the gospel and die. And you would think, no, 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 no way. You'd think that they would do it just to make sure, you know. No. There are people on their deathbeds who refuse to open their lives to Christ. And verse 7 says, here's repentance. Let the wicked forsake his way. See, if you're going to come to the Lord, you must do it God's way, not your way. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts, repentance has to do with changing your mind, metanoia, and your way, your actions. And let him what? Return to the Lord. And what will God do if you do these things? And he will have compassion on him. And to our God, he will what? abundantly, think of the idea of abundance we've been talking about. He will abundantly pardon. All you have to be is thirsty, broke, cry out to him, seek him while he might be found, and turn from your sin. And if you do, God will graciously have compassion on you and abundantly 
pardon. Have you experienced that? I don't know about you, but I've gotten an abundant pardon. Because if he put out the tally sheet, the computer would be spitting out things for quite a long time. And then he did this on this day. And then he thought this on this day. And it would just keep going. But my sins and shortcomings have been nailed to the cross and God is no longer counting my sins against me. The certificate of decrees and the laws that were rising up against me that could easily condemn me, he has taken them out of the way, having what? Nailed them to the cross. See, this is the invitation. God will abundantly pardon. And sometimes you see verses like this and you say, okay, so all you have to be is broke, thirsty. Just kind of seek him, right? As best you can. And just turn away from your sin. It sounds fairly easy, doesn't it? And we might think, really? Isn't there a 20-point plan that I can follow just to make sure? You know, isn't there grace plus, you know, 15 things? Okay, grace is cool, but now just give me the list that I got to take care of, you know. No, there's none of that. And sometimes when people see this, it blows their minds. And God, in verse 8, we may not have thought the context of these famous verses this way, but I think they fit with the salvation that God richly gives God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. What thought might be racing through your head after you read verse 7? Really? You know, there are some people walking around tonight who do not think they can be forgiven. And they, they hear a message like this and they say, so that's what I got to do? I call upon the name of the Lord. I trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I turn away from that old lifestyle and the Lord will abundantly pardon? Yep. I don't think so. Well, your thoughts aren't his thoughts. Really? That doesn't sound right to my way of thinking. How can a man 2,000 years ago who died on a cross really pay for my sin? That sounds crazy to my mind. Well, your thoughts aren't his thoughts. See, he's God. And he satisfies his wrath in the servant of the Lord, Isaiah 53. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And just so you get an idea of how far apart they are. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See it? It, it hasn't even entered into the mind of man, the thing the things, the blessings that God has prepared for those who love him. And that is the beauty of the gospel. And it's all tied around the abundance theme and the bread of God, and it ends with these words about the word of God. For as the rain, think of the heaven and the earth imagery, it still plays here, and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth, and making it bear and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So, in the same way, shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It too comes from heaven, and it too brings bearing and sprouting. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Here's the the main thrust. How does the gospel message come to people? Through the what? The word of God. 
And what does the word of God produce when one turns to the Lord and seeks him and recognizes their position and calls upon the name of the Lord? What does the word of God then produce in them? It brings everlasting life. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us it is what? The power of God. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel message, the foolishness of the message preached is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. This book has power. And it has power even to remove wrinkles. All you have to do is rub it on your face. It'll take years off of you. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Saying, what? Pastor Michael's becoming heretical. No, I'm not. Look at Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Ephesians 5.26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by, what? The washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having what? No spot or wrinkle. I'm clinging to that. (laughs) Or any such thing. The word takes your wrinkles away. What? Yeah. See, life is kind of a combination of two things. You'll notice this more as you get older. Years and mileage. And what happens is the world... Sin leaves lines on your face. Have you ever seen someone who they look older than they should look and you realize they put a lot of miles on the car? You know, we've seen some rock and rollers that have some serious lines on their faces and they've even sung about them. But what the Lord does with his word is he brings the water of the word and it has this cleansing effect and, of course, it's ultimate aim or goal, end goal, will be to present his church without spot or wrinkle. That's a day that's coming, but it also happens now because he cleanses me, he's making me, sanctifying me. Go back to Isaiah and we'll finish up. He's cleansing my life. So the word of God is powerful. So you speak it into people's lives. You rest upon the promises of God. You watch things bear and sprout in your life and you say, I don't remember memorizing that verse, but you're in a conversation and a verse comes to your mind. Where did that come from? I'm not that smart. The Holy Spirit is bringing the living waters out of your life. And the more you stay by them, the more they flow out of you. They bear and they sprout. God's word produces so much beauty. But you've got to listen to it. And then God ends with these words. 55, 12, and 13. For you will go out, this is an Exodus metaphor, like going out of Egypt, with joy. And led be, led, be led forth with what? Peace. Joy and peace are two fruits of the Spirit. And they're beautiful uh, you know, fruits that the Lord bestows upon us because of salvation. The mountains and the hills here Uh, creation is personified, will break forth into shouts of joy before you. I want to see that. And all the trees of the field who starred in the Wizard of Oz will clap their hands. 
Yay! Romans 8 says this. It says, creation is longing for the revealing of the sons of God. It's, re- it's longing for our redemption, the resurrection, because it knows when we're redeemed, then creation is going to get what? It's makeover too. And the curse will be reversed, and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you. The trees will clap their hands instead of the thorn bush. This is imagery of the curse, what it produced. The cypress will come up. Think of the rain and the snow of the word of God, the promises of God. Instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up. And it will be a memorial to remember, a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. If you have the New King James, it says, it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. The NIV says, this will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. Conquerors in the ancient world were accustomed to setting up memorials that would preserve their names and tell of their conquests. The transformed earth will be a memorial of God for victory, forever a sign of the power of the living God. A transformed earth, a transformed people, a redeemed community with new bodies, never to die again, never to have the wrinkles of sin again, to stand in the glorious presence of Almighty God in a city illumined with His glory. They, the people of God, the redeemed earth and creation of God will be an everlasting memorial to the name of Almighty God, the name that is above all names, the name to which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And we, brothers and sisters, will be that memorial. And when people look, they will say, wow, God is powerful. And we are living trophies of that grace today. Would you bow your heart with me? Father, we thank you that in this world we have such great and glorious promises that come from your word. They are sure, steadfast, It is impossible for you to lie. And so we are so grateful that you have given us these promises to stand upon, promises that change us from the inside out, promises of the future, promises that death is not the end, promises of a resurrection, promises of a restored world and universe, promises of a new city, promises of death dying, promises of a reunion day, promises that cannot be taken away by an accuser or any weapon formed against us. Promises based upon the faithfulness and goodness of a God who came into this world and died on a cross and rose again from the dead and bids us, all you who are thirsty, come. And Father, we are grateful that that's not only his message, but it's our message to a lost and dying and thirsty world. And it is our prayer that you would fill us afresh with those living waters. Strengthen us from the inside out. That we might be a memorial to you right now and even more so when we end up there on that day. If you have not met Jesus Christ with your heart bowed and your head bowed, you need to come to him now while he is near. Call upon him while he can be found. Take the window of opportunity now. If you have a question in your soul, about your eternal destiny. Settle it tonight. 
You don't have to have a perfect prayer. All you have to do is say something like this with a heart that's thirsty and broken. Lord, I seek you. I call out to your name. Pray it out loud if it's you. Don't wait. I turn away from my sin. I want to do it your way. I thank you that Jesus died on the cross for me, that he bore my shame. I thank you that he rose again for me from the dead, and I thank you that he lives to intercede for me. Make me your child, Father. Flood my life with this abundance. For Christians, Lord, tonight, I just pray any area of their life that needs mending, equipping, refreshment, that you just minister through your Holy Spirit right now. Just flood the lives of thirsty believers as well that need their tank filled up again. And may they just find that you are so faithful to do it. We love you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? You've been listening to an Old Testament invitation on Walk in Truth. And that's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 55. If you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to part one when you follow Walk in Truth on our free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Also listen to our new mini-sodes called A Step Closer. Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Player FM, and many more. Subscribe for free to hear Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, we have aired the first message in Isaiah chapter 55, and the rest of the message, its full content, is available when you go to Walk in Truth and you search out our podcast, Walk in Truth, on any of your favorite podcast platforms. If you need help, you can always go to walkintruth.com. Now, we're doing this because we have a goal. One of our goals is to uh, move through the rest of the content of Isaiah, have you check out what's available on Walk in Truth and the podcast, and also we are going to segue to a New Testament book, that is the book of Philippians, uh, starting in July. We're really excited about what the Lord's doing, and uh, we would love for you to check out the full message when you check out Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app or walkintruth.com. We'll see you right here tomorrow. May the Lord richly bless you. And remember, Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast for free, and it helps us do our free apologetic events too. Please consider becoming a monthly partner of at least $5 a month. You can donate at walkintruth.com. Don't forget, if you'd like to hear the rest of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 55 called an Old Testament invitation, you can find the entire message on the free Living Truth app or follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. And join us tomorrow for Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 56 called A House of Prayer for All Nations. I'm Mike Massaro. Have a happy Memorial Day. And thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.